Welcome to Real Talk, real estate discussions with Andrew Kirsch. In each episode, Andrew interviews industry leaders. We'll hear their real-time opinions on today's market, their background and unique career highlights and guidance for newcomers to the industry. You can find this show at www.sklarkirsch.com and on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and more. Now here's the host of Real Talk, Andrew Kirsch. Welcome to episode 11 of Real Talk. I just got back from the IMN Real Estate Private Equity Conference in Laguna Beach, and safe to say, no one is doing deals. Anyone who says they're busy, they're just going to conferences each week, or perhaps they are reviewing deals just to keep up with the market, but they know they aren't going to be doing those deals that they're reviewing. Now, there's two schools of thought. Uh, I talked to one uh, leading broker uh, of the West Coast who says, at least with respect to office, that the pain that people are feeling is worse than what we suffered through uh, during the GFC. Others uh, feel that given the fact that there is so much capital on the sidelines waiting to just pounce once there's price discovery that we aren't going to have a repeat of the GFC. You know, it's probably both are right. It really depends on which asset class you're transacting in, which locations uh, you're transacting in, uh, and that'll determine uh, the amount of pain. But as we sit here towards the end of January 2023, it is completely dry of transactions. Now, I'm really excited uh, for our next guest, Zamir Kazi the founder of ZMR Capital. Now, Zamir has quickly become one of the most active owner operators of multifamily throughout the United States, focusing on the Southeast and in the Southwest. Um, not only is he probably one of the tallest uh, professionals in, 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 in the real estate industry, um, his success story is, uh, is, is, is one that really deserves uh uh, having a full conversation with. He went from Division One college basketball player to pre-med to working as a server uh, at the Red Lobster to selling vacation rentals to now having $1.5 billion under management. Let's go to our conversation with Samir. All right. Welcome to another edition of Real Talk. I'm here with one of my faves, and I don't say this about everyone, Zamir Kazi, CEO of ZMR Capital. Zamir, how you doing, man? What's up, Andrew? Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Uh, so where does this podcast find you? Uh, I am in LA. Good old, not sunny, rainy cyclone bomb or bomb cyclone, whatever they call it, Los Angeles right now. I know. I remember back in like November, December, seeing just sort of like the long-term forecast to see like what type of ski season we'd have. And they said, oh, this is going to be a, a, a drier winter. I would say this has to be one of our rainiest winters I could ever remember. It's, uh, it's I mean, it's been raining for like four days straight. And, you know, what's happening up in the, in the Bay Area. I didn't know what a bomb cyclone was until today. Uh, <laughs> I had no idea. Um, so learn something new every day. 
Yeah. Well, let's see. My first, my most important, not most important, but my first question, just to get it out of the way, um, me being, you know, five foot seven and, and that's really on a good day. I may have shrunk a little and I know you're a little taller than I am. Uh, so how tall are you? Not that everyone can see you on iTunes and Spotify, nor can they see you standing on, on, uh, YouTube. Well, you know, my, my biggest weapon or surprise attack is not telling people how tall I am. And when they see mm. It's the element of surprise, um, but I will I will indulge the information here today. It's six seven, um, just just a little bit over a foot taller than you, Andrew. <laughs> That's what I thought. So, have you been in a room full of real estate professionals where someone is taller or as tall as you? you no, know, I, I don't think so. Um, couple couple of my buddies um just started a fund with tpg and josh childress oh yeah uh, yeah he's he's tall right so I, he'd probably be the only person that i've met that's taller than me but if i recall you're not a basketball player you were a volleyball player right no i i, I walked on the florida state basketball team oh you were a basketball player i can't, <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't hit a volleyball if i would try okay to, i uh, think it's you know i think brent you know brennan degner of db capital no i don't Okay, I think you guys are the same height. Also, oh, really? a great friend and and client, and you guys do similar things. You, and I think he's the volleyball player, and that's right. You're the basketball. You player. can't you can't put us in a room together because I, I got to be the tallest guy. You know. Yeah, yeah, you got to keep you guys. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I'm sure everyone that that's it for the show. So thank you very much for coming there on. There you go. Um, so look, Zamir, uh, this is interesting times. Obviously, I mean. Uh, the second half of 2022 um, volume has slowed down as we're sitting here. We're taping at the first week of 23. Um, well, first, talk about what you guys do, what ZMR Capital does. And then I want to get into what we're seeing in today's market. Yeah, so um, we do value add core plus multifamily acquisitions. Um, throughout the Sun Belt states, you know, institutional size um, with institutional partnerships, um, you know, have been pretty active, right? Up, up until I would say the world changed seven months ago. Um, you know, we closed on probably a billion and a half of deals in a 12 month time frame, you know, and, and um, uh, the market has, you know, made a 180, you know, in terms of capital markets and um, yeah, you know, that's, that's us in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, I, I would say that over the last two, three, four years, uh, I don't think I have a client that has really come on to the scene, like, like you guys, like ZMR where, uh, and I'm not just saying it just because, cause you're on, but you know, whether it's, you know, during YPO conferences or real estate conferences, uh, you know, people will ask me, have you heard of ZMR and Zamir Kazi? And I'd say, and I'd say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I do a lot of their legal work. And so I'm proud to, to say that. And I just know that uh, how active you guys have been. Uh, I want to talk about, you know, how you started and how you grew ZMR. Um, but I think what's on everyone's mind right now is is you know what you've been saying like the last seven months of how quiet it's been um what's your take on on where we sit today and what will it take for you know there to be price discovery and for there to be i'm not saying the same 
amount of transactions like 2021, because that probably was inhumane, but a level of transactions like there was, say, pre-COVID? Yeah, you know, it's a great question, right? And I think it's kind of the million dollar question, because I think kind of when all this stuff was happening last year, after April, you know, it kind of, we didn't know how long it was going to last. And I think then optimistically, we were thinking, okay, after Labor Day, things are going to change. And and then, you know, didn't, they didn't. And, and then I think everyone was like, okay, first of the year, things will change. And they're not, right? And and I, I think I have a sense that most most groups out there have a sense largely what where the market should be, I think, right, in their head. Now, if the Fed continues raising rates and they don't stop when we think they're going to stop, then I think that that all changes. And, and I think we've all... Uh, seen that everything that we've assumed and the curves have all been wrong, and you know, so none of us, none of us have a crystal ball. Um, but I think the bid ask right now is still just too wide, and I think it's going to take the Fed to clearly say, "Hey, we're done, right? This is it." Um, and, and I think once the Fed does that, then I think um, everyone can then go out and and largely, you know, have some confidence that, okay. This is where we we're going to underwrite deal. This is where we're going to underwrite exits. This is how you know we can actually we're not guessing anymore. Yeah. Right? Um, but until that happens, I don't I don't see you know people don't want to catch a falling knife right now. And I think you know we've tried to sell deals in this market and it's been just impossible almost to to find qualified buyers and um, you know that's just ever changing. So it's just you know they're unprecedented times, right? We've never seen interest rates climbed this fast uh, before and this high in, in such a short period of time. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people are betting on the fact that deals will get better and there's going to be more blood in the water. Right. So I, I think it's a it's a why would we trade now and act early if the deals will get better? Right. So if you're saying there's there's really like no price discovery and the bid ask spread is too wide and sellers are still looking at at the value uh of their real estate or what it was just you know six seven months ago and like you said you've been uh, trying to sell even if the fed stops raising rates which they will in the next couple of months or quarter quarter and a half when will sellers get the message and and um and realize that cap rates have increased uh, substantially since the second quarter of 22. You know, and I think that's where the problem is, is, is a lot of these sellers, right? Look, in, in us included, we've purchased properties at three caps in the last mm -hmm. you know, year, right? So if now your property is a five, five and a half cap, your values have dropped tremendously. So you need time to increase the NOI. And I think operationally and fundamentally, the industry is still strong, but you're going to need time to get to there. So now where you know, you're buying deals and flipping them in a year because cap rates were compressing, that's just no longer the case. And I think you'll have to actually execute and see those business plans through. But also, you know, I wouldn't want to sell deals unless we absolutely had to, or we were in the money and we bought them you know, years ago. Right. Um, so, so I think what's going to happen is, is most people or a lot of people used, debt fund debt over the last few years and you know there's three one one deals and um we'll start to see situations where uh sellers are going to have to sell right because instead of doing a cash in refinance and, and maybe then 
you know, at that point, then sellers have to be realistic, right? Um, but until that starts to happen, I think, you know, it has to be circumstantial for people to say, okay, we'll sell at, you know, this cap rate or this price. And for some of our listeners who may not be as familiar with the type of bridge debt that you're talking about, when you say 311, uh, three-year in, uh, initial term plus two one-year extensions, um, would you say most of the of the buyers of real estate over the last two, three-year period uh, who use bridge debt, would that initial three-year period be uh, floating rate or fixed rate? Floating rate debt, I think, for the most part, right? And and hopefully people have bought rate interest rate caps, right, to, to hedge. But, you know, some people I know haven't purchased interest rate caps. And some people bought two-year caps versus, you know, a three-year cap. And, and so there will be, you know, look, there's going to be, for some people in the next, you know, year, there's going to be a, you know, pretty some hefty check that someone's going to need to write to, to extend their cap or buy a new cap. And, um, or, you know, if they, if they go to refinance, maybe the, the proceeds aren't going to be as high as when they initially got in. Cause a lot of people were putting 75, 80% or even higher, um, uh, uh, on the loan. So, you know, I, I think in, in a lot of groups that I talked to on the equity side, they're waiting for that to come up, you know, and, and really, really be more opportunistic and, and, and the way they function. So you capitalize deals both uh, or have done both uh, models, uh, uh, syndications and uh, joint ventures uh, where you use um, either a private equity company or a family office to provide 90, 95% of the capital. In the conversations that you're having with your equity partners, where are their heads uh, at? now in you know january of 23 because like you said we all thought that they were they, they they took the summer off and people didn't go on like one or two week vacations they went on like six to eight week vacations <laughs> in europe and just finally got out after covid and 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 working their asses off and we all thought after labor day uh like a typical fourth quarter we would have a transactional volume that that was a normal fourth quarter of of hectic deal flow and and year end, and it wasn't anything like it. It was almost like Groundhog's Day, where where they were all groundhogs. They 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 looked up, they saw their shadow, and they went back into uh, into hibernation. And so, um, what what are your equity partners saying to you? You know, everyone's kind of you get the you get the one one side of the fence where everyone's saying, "Oh, we're still looking for deals, but we're being you know uh, the bar is a lot higher." And and you know, I, I think. A lot of those people just don't know what they're looking for just yet, you know, and really just kind of just testing, seeing what's out there. And but I, it, it, everyone's saying, look, it has to be an incredible deal where it just makes absolute sense to do it now. If not, we're going to kind of be patient, uh, and the bar is extremely high, right? Or you know, um, some of the some of the larger groups, you know, they'll flat out say, hey, we're probably not going to do anything in Q1. You know, well, we we may start to get a little bit more active in Q2. Um, and just let the dust, the dust settle. And I think to your point was uh, that is the time where hopefully the Fed is going to say, hey, we're taking our foot off the gas here. Right. Um, so institutionally, I just there's not I mean, and, and even the guys that have a ton of dry powder, you know, um, everyone's just kind of in a wait and see mode. And, 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 and again, unless it's a, 
a property that just is an absolute no-brainer that's on main and main you know and uh an, an asset that we you have to absolutely own i think it doesn't no one's really getting excited about anything right now so one of the ways uh or one of the key metrics that people like yourself uh sort of justified buying uh real estate in in a low cap rate environment was rent growth and we saw significant rent growth um from obviously 21 to 20 and even the first half of 22 or, or most of the year of 22 compared to 21. How's rent growth um, looking in all of your markets? I know it's market to market specific, but sort of generally on your portfolio. Yeah, um, Florida is rocking. You know, uh, we haven't seen any slowdown at all. Wow. Uh, lease trade outs are incredible. You know, the, the growth is, is great. Um, we have seen some slowdown in markets like Phoenix um, and Vegas. Uh, and look, I think Phoenix was expected, right? You just had to, just the rent growth there was tremendous. It couldn't have, you know, gone on really much longer, I don't think. And, and um, I think there's some short term worries there with a ton of supply coming online, right? But I, I like the space that we're in because new product we're not really competing with um, there. But Look, I think operationally and fundamentally, overall, the, the fundamentals are strong, right? For for multifamily, um, you know, again, a couple markets you're seeing a little bit of pullback, but um, you know, uh, again, Florida, Florida, we're we're still very bullish on. What other mar So you have Phoenix, Vegas, Florida. Any other markets that you guys track? Yeah, uh, we're in Dallas. Um, Dallas, you're seeing, you know, still. I mean, it's, there's rent growth, but not like it, it was. And, and Atlanta, I'd say, is flattened a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, and it's hard, it's hard to say how much of that is seasonality right now versus market conditions, you know, um, we'll, we'll see kind of how things transpire as we get out of this, the slow leasing season. All right. So let's take, uh, let's take our audience back to, uh, the days where you were, uh, uh, what was your position? Small forward, small forward, man, three guard. Small forward, three guard, Florida State. So what were what were those years, like early 2000s? No. So I graduated high school in 05. Oh, like, shoot. You're, you're <laughs> so much younger than I am. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. so mid to late 2000s. Yeah. So I was like 06, 07. It was, it was one summer. You know, I was there for, for a summer. It was okay. the time of my life. Um, you know, uh, Florida State, obviously, you know, a lot, a lot. Uh, it's a fun school. Let's say that. And, uh, <laughs> you always uh, caught yourself. We're uh, <laughs> this is PG podcast here. We I have a different. I have a podcast after dark where uh, we could talk about the days uh, uh, in Tallahassee. Definitely a fun fun school. Had a blast. You know, it was an incredible experience. Um, I was uh, studying pre med. Uh, micro and molecular biology was my, my major. Wow, you are much smarter than I ever thought you were. Nah, I mean, all those brain cells are all gone now. Sure. <laughs> because uh, of those fun nights. And yeah, yeah. So, um, but you know, it was, I was studying to be a doctor, uh, and I actually ended up um, dropping out of college my senior year. Got into kind of a an argument with my dad at the time, and and then. Uh, somehow stumbled into real estate a couple of years later. Um, 
before we get into that, because at five foot seven, I just would love to know what it's like to to dunk a basketball on a ten foot rim. <laughs> well, imagine the dunking on an eight foot rim. It just looks. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I can do that, but I'm seven. But uh, with Jewish hops, although I was a college baseball player. Um, oh, were you? Yeah, you didn't know that. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, at, at, at Northwestern. Oh, good for you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So. Uh, uh back in the day in the mid 90s late 90s um it makes sense why you're such in shape but it, it, it all makes sense now and well same with you i mean <laughs> uh all right so what was your first job in real estate uh well so i didn't have one my, my first job in real estate was buying my first duplex so, so you just you went from you know deciding that you didn't like the sight of blood and being a doctor and then just rolled up your entrepreneurial sleeves and said, let's, uh, let's give this real estate gig a try. Yeah. So I actually, when I, when I dropped out, I ended up um, becoming a server at Red Lobster. It was my, my first job out of college. Um, and then from there, I moved back to Orlando, worked at a restaurant called NBA City. And then from there, I got a job at a call center selling vacation packages like two day, three night, you know, the, the press one campaigns you get three day, two night stay at Hilton. Um, so I, I was doing that, ended up being really good at it. And then, uh, and, and got, started my own company doing the same thing, started saving up a little bit of money. And then my dad was like, Hey, look, you should start investing in real estate. And that's how people build generational wealth. So I hit up one of my best friends that I grew up with and he found me a $20,000 duplex at Lakeland, Florida, it was at a short sale in 2013, and uh, it was twenty thousand in total, or was that the equity? In total, it was a complete, yeah, rundown. Uh, cabinets were missing. I mean, it was it was just shell almost, and so bought that place and in total uh, fixed it up and sold it for like 150 grand, and I maybe put in 10, 15 thousand into it. Um, so that was my first deal, and then. Uh, bought the couple of deals next door to that. And, and, you know, the goal was to get to $10,000 of passive income, um, a, a month. And then the business just kind of took off. Wow. Um, this is similar to the, uh, the Keith Wasserman story, uh, of Gelt who started. Yeah. I love Keith's story. Yeah. yeah I mean, he was, he, you, you, you're the taller East coast version of Keith Wasserman, <laughs> who started in Bakersfield in like 09 with a fourplex and you started with a duplex in what was it Lakeland you said Lakeland Florida yeah bunch of orange groves okay so well no different than uh than Bakersfield so so what was the point in time where where you felt like this is more than just I don't want to say a hobby, but like that this could be a career, the deal, like going from a two, a duplex to a fourplex to, to something, some deal that, that was like, now I can do it. Now I can make a living. Yeah. So, you know, um, it was probably in 2015. Um, I bought a place. It was, it was, you know, uh, kind of a smaller, a smaller deal. It was a million dollar deal and put in, maybe a couple hundred grand and then the market just kind of, you know, 2015 to 2017 really changed, um, sold that. And I was like, well, I don't need to keep doing my, you know, my day job anymore. And I want to keep full, focusing full time on this. And the deal started getting bigger. I moved to LA. 
um, and then just met some people, you know, some some guys that you know, and uh, um, really just changed my outlook and and how and what kind of deals I was looking for, and you know, and and really just said, hey, this is you know the market's great, you know, we've had a couple great exits and um, have done really well, and uh, really needed to start focusing on this full time and just build my relationships, um, you know, both on the broker side and the equity side, and uh, really try to scale this. So I'd say that happened um really like 2016 ish uh was right when i moved to los angeles what was it why did you move to la um so really it was lifestyle i came i'd never been to los angeles before uh, yeah but you're in florida i mean i would say most people who move to la are you know from more colder weather so I'm from Orlando, Florida, by the way, it's not Miami. Everyone thinks everyone thinks Miami when you say Florida. Yeah, not, but why not just go an hour yeah. south to Miami versus? So you know what? Is, everyone, everyone always says this, like, "Hey, you're Indian, right? Like, and you're from Florida, you should be okay with the heat." I'm like, that's not the case. I don't like the heat. I don't like the humidity. I hate it. I came I came to LA, and I was like, man, I didn't know this existed. I didn't know there was a place in the world where there was no humidity, right? And I'd never seen yeah. mountains before, and and. Uh, so I was a huge Lakers fan, so I went mm. to a Lakers game and and uh, looked around. I'm like, man, this is where I want to be. And and called called my wife, and I was like, hey, we're moving, you know. And uh, and that didn't go over so well. So it took a couple of years of, of convincing, but now we're here. Yeah, well, that's great. I mean, it just listening to you, it's it's remarkable that it was only five years ago. Four, you know, five, six years ago, 2016, 2017, that you move here, you had done some deals. And then to go from 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 the move to now having over a, mil, uh, a million, a billion five in assets. I mean, that's do you ever just stop and and take a moment and soak it in and and, and just reflect on what you've accomplished in such a short period of time? Plus, you had COVID that 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 really you know took at least six, nine months out of, out of the market. So you really did this in the three, four year period. Yeah, man, it's, it's incredible. And, and it's funny you say that because I was just having this conversation the other day is, yeah, you definitely got to stop, you know, appreciate what we've been able to do. And, you know, obviously I want to do a lot more and, and, and I think we want to continue this growth, but um, very grateful and blessed to, to have, been able to have the trajectory that we've had in such a such a short period of time. I mean, really, if you think about it, it's all happened within the last two years, right? Um, before that, we'd only done a couple of deals a year, and uh, so very very grateful and, and trying not to take it for granted um, what we've been able to accomplish uh, here pretty pretty shortly. So, how would you, you know, someone who's in your position, who's starting out? Uh, going from you know a f smaller buildings even you know seven figure buildings to then making the jump to to a mid to high eight figure building where you can't use syndication money you've exhausted friends and family you really need like a 20 30 million dollar equity check how did you get into how did you crack the code in getting into the institutional private equity capital world where it, it's like it's a catch 22 where they don't want to give money or you know uh, invest with people when when they don't have the track record with other uh, JV providers. So how do you how, how can you even get into the door? I mean that's a common question that a lot of my younger clients, I guess, would 
would you know ask me yeah so you know it's funny because our first deal was uh you know it was a deal you guys actually did our, our legal for uh that was our first institutional deal um and uh you know I asked you for a bunch of recommendations, right? Sure. But sure. you know, it, it, it's, it's funny because that is the case. You know, everyone you call, they're like, "Look, you, you don't have you don't have a track record. You don't have experience." Well, how am I supposed to get a track record and experience if no one's going to give you a shot? It is a catch twenty two. Um, I, I would say the first and foremost, most important thing is the asset, right? Because you can go out and put your name out there, but you need an asset to pitch. You have to. I think you have to have a live deal, right? Um, and that has to be a great deal first and foremost. And I think that that's, that should be the case of, of all the deals that you do, but you know, it, it's gotta be a deal where it's almost like a, we were talking about earlier, a no brainer, right? It, especially if you're lacking that track record, it's gotta be a home run, right? Guy has to have a great story. And then I think in addition to that, we got lucky, not lucky, but I guess lucky, but even though we didn't have a track record, I had just made my first two hires, right? So the first two hires that I made was asset manager and director of construction management. And both of those two hires that I made had lots of experience. They were institutional uh, caliber teammates and, and they had, you know, worked at companies that had over 20,000 units. So they brought the experience that I lacked, right? Um, which helped them get comfortable. Um, and, and I don't know if you remember, but in our term sheet with that group, that deal was in Atlanta. And they actually put in the term sheet that I had to spend two weeks uh, a month at yeah. Atlanta at the deal because that's how concerned they were about us not having boots in the ground and this and that. And, you know, they took a bet and the bet worked. And um, but it's hard, you know, and I think I think before that you have to at least even if you don't have an institutional track record, it is important to post some wins with your syndications. Right. So you got to you got to you know have have some sort of exits and you can show, hey, we know what we, we've gone round trip. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, I, but I have found that it's easier to raise, you know, 20 million bucks than it is $2 million. So, totally. Yeah. I, I, you know, the, um, I say this all the time that it, that it's much easier to do a deal that's, that's larger than smaller. There's more, um, groups who need to put out, uh, a lot of money. And, and that's why I think, you know, going back to our original conversation as to where our institutions today uh, on their thoughts with respect to the market and why they're taking uh, a pause. You know, if you look at really other than that three, six month period of, of COVID in 2020 from the end of the GFC, let's call that 2011, 2012, all the way through the second quarter of 2022, that 10 year period has been some of the most robust uh years uh in in the economy in general and specifically in the multifamily industry and more money globally has gone into u.s real estate u.s uh multifamily so they've done so well that they didn't want to make a mistake in the second half of 22 they allocated the entire the entire year of 2022 a lot of these private equity groups allocated their entire year's worth of capital uh, deployment in the first two quarters of 2022, maybe even first quarter of 2022. So they didn't have to transact. And so they're waiting for that market to change, but they're going to have to transact because they're set up to transact and they've raised so much money that if they don't transact, 
there's risk of redemption. Well, and, and that's the thing is that I think the difference between now and the GFC is that there's so much capital in the market, right? I, this is it, when it changes. And I think when people finally feel comfortable to jump back in, we're going to have a wave of capital flow back into to the business and the industry. And I think that naturally is going to bring pricing back, uh, uh, back up. But uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, there, there's just so much money out there. And I, you know, even even when talking to all these private equity funds, they're out there raising the largest funds right now that they've ever raised, right? So they're in the middle of raising, you know, the, the biggest funds they've ever raised right now. There's going to be more liquidity than there ever has been. And yeah, I mean, you know, everybody we've known in, in, in the industry, they've, they have put out, you know, their entire goal. It was like end of 21, right? That Q4, no one wanted to do anything because they had put out so much money already. So for, for you know, again, they're, there's no rush right now for anyone, really, because everyone's done so well. Yeah. And speaking of funds, I mean, just our firm over the last six months, we've done more fund formation in the last six months than we've done probably in the last six years where groups are wanting to be ready and primed so that when there is price discovery again, they're ready to pounce. Um, that's why I think the uh, the pain and the blood in, uh, in the streets, I don't know how painful it will be because there's there's so many groups ready to pounce. Um, I think it depends on the asset class. In office, there's going to be pain because there's not that much capital wanting to go into office. In multifamily, you still have a lot of money throughout the world that wants to be in U.S. multifamily. Yeah, and I think even then, like a lot of these groups are – raising pref equity and, and have pref equity vehicles out there. So even if there's a need for cash in refinances, there's going to be rescue capital for those groups. Right. So I, I think, I think for a lot of people that are waiting for all this pain, I don't think it's going to be as much pain as people think or anticipate, right. There may be some, um, but I, I don't think it's, it's going to be few and far between. Yeah. So what do you, um, what do you do with your days? I mean, is are you constantly looking at deals? You're talking to brokers. You're talking to investors. You're, the, the transactions aren't there, but like, how are you taking? What What are you doing in these days in the last few months um, to to I guess be prepared uh, to transact? Um, so we um, we're really focused on operations right now, you know, and and my days have shifted. From, you know, I'm still talking to brokers, still looking at deals. We want to keep our finger on the pulse in the market and see how things are moving. And you're don't you're not going to see that unless you're underwriting deals real time. Um, but really, right now, it's it's operations, right? Because we've got to make sure now more than ever that asset management is on point, that we are operating every asset to the best of its ability. Because look, you know, we also have done short-term bridge debt and we want to make sure that we can hit our debt yields to extend if we need to and, and those things are important um, and make sure you know again right now that because uh, i think i think for a long time a lot of smaller players have gotten by uh, because the market is it was again the cap rates were compressing they weren't necessarily good operators i think right now you're going to be able to distinguish who a good good operator who's not right as as rent growth start to taper off right and and you're seeing some of some of the the, the main drivers kind of slow down um key key operations are going to be very important are there any um markets that you haven't been in that uh you think this may be a good time to 
to start transacting in once things open up? Yeah, um, you know, we've we we've been wanting to get into the Carolinas, um, you know, uh, Mountain West, uh, Pacific Northwest. You know, just we're we're demographically driven, and um, we brought on uh, an acquisitions person from uh, Kennedy Wilson um, uh, beginning of last year to handle the West Coast and, and hopefully start doing some more deals here and. Uh, so yeah, definitely a lot of markets. Utah, Salt Lake City, really like uh, Albuquerque, um, Columbus, Ohio, I really like as well. Uh, so definitely would like to get into to some new markets and continue growing the portfolio. When you mentioned that equity provider uh, who who almost gave you your first shot, at least on larger deals, and they wanted to have you be in Atlanta for two weeks a year, um, how do you? What's the conversation like when you're in LA and in Florida, and you've got people both you know, Southern California and Florida, and you are doing deals in Texas, possibly Carolinas, Mountain West, uh, Phoenix, Vegas, and you're not there. Um, and of course you can hire property managers that are boots on the ground, but how do you answer the question of why should it, why should I invest with you, Zamir, when there are groups that are closer to the asset? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we get that often, especially as we've broken into new markets, right? Like Phoenix, I remember our first deal in Phoenix, you know, that was the biggest knock is look, you guys are Florida group. You know, most of your deals have been Florida and Texas. You've never done a deal in Phoenix. Uh, and there's so many groups out there that love this market and, you know, operate at a higher level. Why should we do it? And, you know, I, I think it's, again, the deal really matters. Right. Um, the deal's got to be a, a phenomenal deal, especially if it's your first one in that market. Um, and then, you know, we what we did is we hired boots on the ground. Right. So we would say, OK, well, we Phoenix was close enough to L.A. and we hired an L.A. based asset manager and it's only an hour away. So we can justify that. Or, you know, Atlanta, um, that deal that we bought there, we had our asset manager lived in Atlanta. Right. Texas, we hired a Texas-based person when we when we got into Texas. So, for us too, it's like if we're going to get into a market, we're not going to just do one deal there, right? It's going to be we're going to go deep and we're going to commit resources to be there. So if it's you know if it's an hour flight, our LA-based team is 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 well equipped to handle it. But if it's more, we'll probably put someone on the ground. Yeah, and I guess the last question before uh, move on: um, Would you say it's going to be more challenging? to get the equity to open up or the debt to open up in order to transact? Um, it's a good question. So, I mean, look, I think debt's there, right? If, you, if you're okay with agency right now, obviously, and I think what happens is, is you're much lower leverage, right? So you're 55, 60%, which really just for returns, it's not great, right? Yeah. Um, so, so that takes out a lot of players that need kind of, you know, 20 plus IRRs, which, sure. you know, we've been spoiled these last few years. But don't you think those groups that require more than a 20 or out of 20 or high teams even have to come down other, otherwise, how can they transact if leverage is always going to, or not always, but it's going to be for the near future below 60%. It, it's it's they're not going to do deals. I think, you know, like, yeah. it, or, or it's going to be again, like this really distressed deal. Right, uh, where you're going to do it? I, I think, yeah, naturally, people's return expectations should come down. And look, I think anybody who's advertising that they've done, you know, 30 IRRs in the last, which we all have, right? I think everyone, everyone's IRR track record over the last couple of years is phenomenal. 
Um, you just can't. It's not going to be that. I don't think that's going to be the case for the for the for the short term, and you should be fine with that, right? I think as long as you you can uh, portray and, and relay that. Look, you know, we're not we don't expect to hit those types of returns, but look, a mid teens, mid to high teens IRR, you know, that's probably reasonable, achievable, and and realistic. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's. Uh, uh, I think even when you were buying in a low cap rate environment. I always felt that there were certain equity providers whose um, return expectations were too high that they weren't able to transact because of it. Yeah. I mean, I, even today, today, I still hear people say, uh, we're looking for north of 20s net to the LP. <laughs> yeah. How are you going to get that? You're basically telling me you're not doing the deal, right? Right. And even in with the cost of construction, it's going to be hard for them to do it in, in ground yeah, up. Um, all right. We're we're going to pivot to uh, uh, the lightning round, the lightning round, the lightning round uh, question and answer of real talk. So so quick answers to the following questions and then and then we'll get you out of here. OK. OK. So if you weren't in real estate, what would you be doing? I already heard potentially doctor, potentially like a manager of a red lobster might be in there. Um, uh, I would, uh, I'd probably player. still be doing the vacation package thing. Oh, that's right. Well, okay. What was your go-to line that, uh, made you, uh, an expert salesperson in vacation packages? You know, you just gotta go for the clothes. You gotta ask for the money. So after, you know, you gotta, a the number one thing is shut up. First person to talk is loses, right? So you don't you don't say anything after you're done. Let the next person say something, and then uh, ask for the money. So I'd always be like, "Do you want to put that on a Visa, Mastercard, Discover?" And then I wouldn't say anything. And then the repo then then the objections would come out. You know. <laughs> I love it. Um, God, we could do a whole podcast on. Uh, <laughs> you could teach a sales course. Um, uh, the age you dunk a basketball on a ten foot rim. Uh, I was sixteen. Okay, I thought you were going to say earlier, but no. sixteen. I was, I was really, I was really goofy and uncoordinated for a long time. I was, uh -huh. uh, I was, I was six four when I was fourteen. I was six foot when I was eleven. Um, so I was really tall, and then I stopped growing at sixteen. And then finally, like, really didn't grow into my body until I was like sixteen, seventeen. You know, the reason why I don't drink coffee is because I'm convinced that there's still a late forties, almost fifty growth spurt. So I'm hoping to get the five seven and a half. Uh, see, I don't drink coffee. It's probably explained. That's, that. Yeah. So neither do I. So it helped you, but didn't help me. Uh, <laughs> how about best basketball player that we've heard of that you played with or against? Um, so I played against, um, Dwight Howard, Whoa. uh, and in, in high school, uh, actually Amari Stoudemire is probably my, the best person that I played against. He's, he's a, a buddy of mine now, but, um, my, was my, I was my freshman year in high school. Um, it was like summer league. Uh, they put me in like it was a summer league game and um, put me in Amari. We were, they were up by like 40 points, put me in the game. I was maybe 150 pounds, 6'4", right? And Amari, just like point guard, throws up an alley from half court. Amari comes out of nowhere. His head's, you know, ten, a foot over the rim and just dunks all over me. That was my welcome to playing against a grown man uh moment it was a senior year he was number one in the nation that year uh and that's when i quickly realized that i probably don't have a future in this sport no oh, i mean i remember him on the phoenix suns and that guy it was just 
incredible to watch him jump and and uh as a jewish person i'm very proud that he's probably the highest jumping jewish person since he converted to judaism 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah definitely one of the (laughs) top five jewish basketball players of all time maybe probably top one um you can be a net buyer or net seller in 23 probably a net buyer because again i think we're not going to sell stuff unless we have to. We're hoping that rates come back down in the next, you know, couple of years. And hopefully that means cap rates come back down. So if we can keep deals, we probably will. Yeah. All right. Last question. Best advice someone's given you. Best advice someone's given me. Um, it's a great one. I've gotten so much good advice over the last few years. I know this is lightning round. Um, you know, look, I think it's just stay humble, stay hungry, you know, just just get out there, be the hardest working person. You know, it doesn't matter how successful you get. Uh, always be humble. You're not better than anyone and, and, and just keep working hard. You know, I think if you if you want it bad enough and you outwork a lot of people, you're going to end up getting it. it may take a little bit, but, um, you know, just keep working at it and be consistent. Well, I love that. I mean, I, I, I love hire. I'm a former athlete. You're a former athlete. I love hiring athletes. I love working with athletes because we all have that same mindset where this is, um, you know, we're so used to just being driven and going to practice and, and working on our craft. And, and, and now it, it went from the ball field or court to, to the real estate industry or legal industry. And, uh, I just love seeing your success and and the growth, uh, of ZMR and, uh, can't wait to see, uh, what lies ahead over the next several years. And, um, just congratulations, man. Thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate it. And it's always a pleasure working with you and becoming your friend over the last few years. And, uh, thanks a lot for everything you do too, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on to the real talk. And, uh, that's another episode. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Real Talk, real estate discussions with Andrew Kirsch. You can catch prior episodes at www.sklarkirsch.com and on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and more. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments and sharing this show with others.